Hey everyone, welcome to the Building a Financial Fortress podcast to help increase your financial knowledge. This is episode 8, March 12th, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment and is not financial advice, so please do your own research. Uh, For this week, we're going to go through the weekly market overview, another wild week in the markets. And we'll be talking about uh, the weekly Bitcoin news. And then uh, we'll also, uh, I think for this week, uh, talk about... uh, 1031 rules, which the 1031 exchange is something that a real estate investor uh, can use to defer taxes when they're selling an appreciated property. And uh, I've known about these for a while, having you know invested in real estate myself, but uh, was recently made aware of, uh, of a new twist to that called the Delaware Statutory Trust that I wanted to talk about here um on this podcast so uh without any further ado uh we will take it away so the weekly market update uh this is courtesy of seeking alpha stocks fell friday as risk sentiment worsened after ukraine's top diplomat said he didn't see progress in negotiations between russia and ukraine after vladimir putin reportedly had cited certain positive developments in the talks. The U.S. added vodka, caviar, and diamonds to the list of banned Russian imports, and President Biden said he would seek to revoke the country's preferential trade status, which would lead to higher tariffs on Russian goods. Inflation fears are intensifying, with U.S. consumer sentiment sinking to its lowest since 2011, and inflation expectations for the year ahead rising to a 40-year high. Crude oil posted its first weekly loss since Russia's invasion after hitting 14-year highs early in the week. The Dow Jones average notched its fifth consecutive week of losses, down 2%, while the S&P sank 2.9%, and the NASDAQ slid 3.5%. Moving on to Bitcoin news. Um, Three pretty interesting articles. The first one uh, is from Coindesk. Uh, this is on March 3rd. Swiss city of Lugano to make Bitcoin and Tether de facto legal tender. Aiming to become Europe's Bitcoin capital, Lugano, Switzerland has formed a partnership with stablecoin issuer Tether to establish Bitcoin, Tether, and Lugano's own LVGA points token as essentially legal tender in the city. The move goes far beyond the actions of a number of other Swiss localities that for some time have been accepting crypto for tax payments. Somewhat similar to El Salvador, Lugano, in addition to allowing crypto for taxes, is aiming to have all of its businesses seamlessly use crypto for everyday transactions. In El Salvador, only Bitcoin qualifies. At Thursday's Plan B event, which was hosted by Lugano's mayor, Michelle Folletti, The move was described as a de facto legalization as the Swiss franc will surely remain the actual legal tender in Lugano and elsewhere in Switzerland. 
Switzerland's ninth largest city uh, with a population of just over 62,000 Luganos in the Italian-speaking southern part of the country. Also announced at Plan B were plans for the Bitcoin World Forum to be held in Lugano on October 26th to 28th. Uh, the next article is from CNBC. Uh, this was published on March 9th. Bitcoin up 8% after Biden announces executive order on cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies were higher Wednesday after President Joe Biden announced his highly anticipated executive order on digital assets that took a supportive stance toward the industry. Bitcoin was last trading at $41,944, around 8% higher, according to CoinMetrics. Other cryptocurrencies, including Ether, were also sharply higher. The executive order, which attempts to fix the lack of a framework for the U.S. development of cryptocurrencies, has been widely welcomed by the industry and its investors. Critics have said the lack of regulatory clarity could hold the U.S. back when it comes to crypto for the rest of the world to leapfrog. The lack of regulatory clarity has also been cited often as the barrier to greater institutional adoption in the crypto market. It's unequivocally bullish for the crypto ecosystem over all time frames, said Travis Kling, CEO at Ikigai Asset Management. It's easy to lose sight of how much ground this ecosystem has covered in the last two years in terms of legitimacy and stance from the U.S. government. But this EO makes it clear the U.S. government is not banning crypto, it is embracing it. The order also calls for measures to protect American consumers, investors, and businesses, and to protect the U.S. and the global financial system and mitigate systemic risk. Additionally, it directs the U.S. government to explore the technological infrastructure and capacity needs for a potential central bank-issued digital currency. Treasury Secretary Yellen said in her statement Wednesday, that the executive order calls for a coordinated and comprehensive approach to digital asset policy. The executive order kicks off a six-month-long process for the regulatory agencies with jurisdiction in crypto to examine the industry. At the end of six months, after seeing the results of the study and investigation, there could be specific policy proposals from different regulatory agencies, Kristen Smith, executive director of the Blockchain Association, told CNBC's Crypto World Wednesday. The downside and risk is that the government will go through this analysis and ultimately recommend measures that are more stringent than the crypto industry will be able to manage and that ultimately could drive innovation overseas, she said. Smith added she isn't concerned that will happen across the board. We're going to have a very good opportunity to engage, she said, as the education level about the industry goes up. Policymakers are much more open to what we believe in the industry to be reasonable policies. Uh, so that was some big news. Um, it was funny because uh, actually Treasury Secretary Yellen's um, response was posted early the night before the executive order came out. And so I think that was picked up by a lot of traders and uh, caused the price to spike up, uh, which had then dropped back down. So it's been bouncing around in the high 30s. Uh, uh, after that um, spike up to uh, whatever it was, 41, 42,000. Um, but definitely good news in, in one sense, at least uh, moving forward with the regulatory framework will eliminate some of the uh, uncertainties, uh, uh, which would then, you know, have been holding back a lot of institutional investors from adopting 
Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies um, in their investment portfolios. Uh, so we can hope <clears throat> that that's um, a good thing. Uh, on a not so positive note, Coindesk reports, this is on uh, today, uh, March 12th, um, limiting proof of work crypto back on the table as EU Parliament prepares a virtual currencies vote. Um, a provision looking to force proof-of-work cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin to switch to the more environmentally friendly proof-of-stake consensus mechanism is in draft of MICA up for a parliamentary vote on Monday. Of course, proof-of-stake uh, is uh, lower energy consuming, but it's uh, also not as secure as proof-of-work. And uh, there's really no way to change the Bitcoin protocol and nobody would, would want to change it. Uh, none of the developers or any anybody that owns Bitcoin would want to change it to proof of stake. Um, so that would, if that became law, would basically mean you couldn't own Bitcoin in, in the EU, but you might be able to own Ethereum if once that's converted to proof of stake, for example. Uh, anyway, the article goes on to say the latest draft of the European Union's proposed legislative framework for governing virtual currencies, markets, and Crypto assets, or MICA for short, still contains a provision that could limit the use of proof of work cryptocurrencies. Proof of work is the energy intensive consensus mechanism that underlies popular cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ether. The computing process has come under heavy scrutiny from lawmakers in the EU over energy concerns. A previous draft of the MICA framework contained a strongly worded provision that proposed a prohibition of crypto services that rely on environmentally unsustainable consensus mechanisms starting in January 2025, but the provision was later scrapped following industry backlash. The EU parliamentarian uh, in charge of the MICA legislative framework, Dr. Stefan Berger, said at the time that the paragraph in question had been removed but that a final decision had not yet been made. One version of the new draft reviewed by Coindesk has a similar provision, though significantly toned down from the original. It says that crypto assets shall be subject to minimum environmental sustainability standards with respect to their consensus mechanism used for validating transactions before being issued, offered, or admitted to trading in the union. If a proof of work consensus mechanism is operating on a small scale, it is exempt from having to meet sustainability standards according to the provision. What qualifies as a small scale operation has yet to be determined. It also says that energy intensive crypto assets that are already in use in the EU before the legislation comes into effect will have to set up and maintain a phased rollout plan to ensure compliance with such requirements as specified in another part of the framework. Another version of the measure also seen by Coindesk would soften the language even further. However, it's believed the stronger version has a lot of support among parliamentarians. Although there are plans, like I mentioned earlier, to move Ethereum from proof of work to a less energy consuming consensus mechanism called proof of stake, it is unclear how Bitcoin, the largest global cryptocurrency by volume traded, could transition from proof of work. So while there's been a huge push as of late to use renewable energy in Bitcoin mining, the industry is still very much dependent on traditional energy sources, thus making the cryptocurrency potentially vulnerable under the stronger proposal. The crypto community has been swift to react with some calling on citizens in the EU to contact their parliamentarians to oppose the measure. Uh, 
Ledger, a crypto hardware wallet provider, issued a statement saying individuals and organizations should be free to choose the technology most appropriate to their needs. Policymakers should neither impose nor discriminate in favor of a particular technology. This is deeply concerning and would have serious consequences for Europe. Uh, so very interesting what's happening there. And uh, certainly couldn't rule that out from happening in the United States as well. Uh, you know, especially if they want to, you know, harmonize their rules with uh, the international community. Uh, so we'll have to keep an eye on that uh, if you live in the United States. But uh, definitely concerning to see that pop up in legislation in the EU, uh, just because uh, that, you know, almost seems like a backdoor way of banning Bitcoin, which really doesn't help anybody. Um, and if you're interested in learning more about Bitcoin, uh, I do have a, an earlier episode uh, all about Bitcoin. Um, if you want to go back to that and and uh, and uh, learn a bit more, um, it was one of the earlier episodes that I published. Uh, so that's it for the weekly Bitcoin news. A uh, lot of a uh, lot of interesting stuff happening in that area, and again, that was all in one week. So that was a busy week. Okay, so moving on to. 1031 exchanges. So if you're a real estate investor in the United States um, and you have appreciated property and you sell it and you don't want to pay uh, taxes on it right away, you can defer those taxes uh, using what's called the 10, 1031 exchange. And so, and I'm not a tax person and I would once again encourage you to consult with your tax accountant if you're thinking about doing one of these there's a lot of complexity to it the rules are pretty complicated uh, I'm just giving a pretty high level view here uh, for for this but anyway uh, the 1031 exchange basically allows for the deferral of taxes uh, if the proceeds from the sale of the property uh, are used to acquire like-kind property so an example of that might be you sell an apartment building and you buy an office building or you sell a condo and you buy a, you know an investment you know like a uh, an apartment building um or you sell a hotel and you buy a, a strip mall you know those are all basically considered like kind um, the replacement property has to be identified within 45 days of closing of the sale of the property that, that you're getting rid of. So that's a very specific rule that has to be met. And the purchase of the replacement property has to be completed within 180 days of the sale closing. So these are very specific dates. And if you don't meet these dates, it blows up and then you have to pay taxes. Um, and then um, the other thing is that the, 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 um, the seller has to commit to having the proceeds held by a qualified third-party interme intermediary uh, called uh, uh, an exchange, you know, 1031 exchange accommodator. So you can't touch the money uh, after the close of escrow. Um, 
on the property that you're disposing of. So um, typically what you do with a 1031 exchange, um, most people will sell the property and then they'll buy a replacement property. So you might buy a condo, small condo, let's say, you own that for some a period of time and then you sell it. And then you use the proceeds maybe to buy a duplex or a triplex, you know, so it's a, a bigger a multi-unit building. And then presumably before you were managing it or you had a property manager and uh, when you acquire the new building, you do the same thing. Um, and then, uh, you know, you're responsible for getting the loan and um, paying all the bills, managing the property, et cetera. So um, the other uh the, the 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 other another way of doing a 1031 besides buying a property is is uh, what's called the Delaware Statutory Trust, and so um, this allows you again the same treatment as a 1031 exchange. You can defer taxes on appreciated real estate on sale. A uh, Delaware Statutory Trust is an entity that qualifies as uh, like-kind real estate for a 1031 exchange. And they're structured very specifically for this to meet the Internal Revenue Service uh, rules. Um, essentially what happens is you, you are a fractional owner in, in a piece of property. Um, and it's, it's an alternative to buying a single you know, replacement property like I was talking about earlier and managing that yourself. Um, and this is a good option for someone who's maybe approaching retirement or maybe they just, they still want to own real estate. They still want to enjoy the benefits of, you know, appreciation over time and cash flow. They just don't want to manage it. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's certain situations where, where this might be, you know, a beneficial, uh, thing for you to 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 use uh, when you're disposing of a property um, some of the pros of a uh, delaware statutory trust uh, probably the number one is you free yourself from what we call the three t's of property management tenants toilets and trash um, so you don't deal with any of that uh, the property that's in the Delaware Statutory Trust is going to be professionally managed. It's typically going to be of an institutional quality. Um, and you will earn passive income. So you'll get a distribution every month. Um, uh, access to, uh, you also get access to long-term triple net lease properties. So for example, uh, an industrial building that's leased by FedEx for 20 years. Um, so, you, you know, you, you typically wouldn't be able to buy a property like that and, and enter into a transaction like that as a small investor, but this would allow you to buy a, uh, an interest in something like that, um, which would include, you know, industrial space or office space and that sort of thing. Also, um, there's the potential with uh, a Delaware statutory trust of having 
non-recourse debt versus recourse debt. So typically when you buy an investment property yourself directly, you typically, um, uh, there's typically a personal guarantee, um, you know, or recourse back to the, to the buyer. But in this case, uh, the um, lenders to the properties that are in the Delaware Statutory Trust only have recourse to the property. Um, so again, it protects the investor from liability. Um, now, so there are some Delaware Statutory Trusts that are debt-free too. So um, those obviously, you know, the ones with debt have the potential for more long-term appreciation, um, but that can also create problems on the downside. You know, if the property were to lose value and then they, they couldn't refinance it. So some, some, some folks may go for a more conservative approach and, and, and only want to invest in a, a debt-free um, stat, Delaware statutory trust. Um, also there's, there's the potential for diversifying into, you know, smaller dollar amounts. So, um, I've seen some, uh, with some of the, the largest, um, syndicators, uh, where minimum investments are, you know, 50,000 or a hundred thousand. So let's say you had $500,000 of proceeds coming out of the sale of an investment property. Um, you could, you could invest in. You know, if it was a fifty thousand minimum, you could invest in ten different um, properties and and build a portfolio of different assets. So you could have multifamily, you could have industrial, you could have retail, you could have you know office, hotel, you know what whatever. Um, and typically, you would probably work with a broker uh, anyway because you can't you can't you can't get into these things directly. You actually have to work with a broker who has the relationship with these companies, but they'll help you figure out the right company to use. And then also what the, what the uh, portfolio should look like um, that you're going to, that you're going to exchange into. Um, on the negatives, and there are some negatives, um, there's, there's no guarantee that there'll be a monthly distribution um, or that the property will appreciate. So um, like all, you know, real estate, um, you know, whether you own it yourself or it's owned through this type of a vehicle, there, there's always risks, operational risk, you know, like what happened during COVID, which um, really heavily impacted uh, a lot of businesses that need people to be there in person, like offices and hotels and, and even retail. Um, so um, that's obviously a risk. Material risks associated with real estate investments like vacancy, you know, market, interest rates, general economic risks. I mean, those are all still present in this type of an investment. Um, it's also a completely passive beneficial interest. Um, so you can't, you, you really don't have any say in the management of the, of the property at all. Um, and there are s several restrictions that are placed on the trustee to protect investors. They call them the, the seven deadly sins. Uh, so uh, the first one is uh, once the, 
Delaware Statutory Trust closes, um, there's no future contributions. So once the money's in, it's in until the property, you know, gets sold. And then at that point, you have an opportunity to roll your proceeds into another statutory trust or take it out, pay the tax. But um, you're going to be in for um, probably five to seven years. Um, there's restrictions on debt, so uh, there's no new loans, um, no new, no renegotiation of loans. Um, that could be a bad thing if if you know they needed to restructure the debt because of an economic downturn. So it's just something to be aware of. Um, there's no reinvestment of of, uh, of sale proceeds uh, that are automatic, you know, by the sponsor. It's it's up to the individual investor to make that decision. Um, required distributions. So pretty much all the cash flow has to be distributed to the um, beneficial owners, except for some small amount that's held back for capital expenditures. And those are really limited to repairs and maintenance, you know, minor non-structural type work and anything that might be required by law. Um, uh, it also has some restrictions on what um, the uh, trustee can uh, invest the reserves in. So that has to be, you know, basically government bonds or very, very low risk um, investments like that. And there's also some restrictions on the type of leases that can be entered into as well. So um, a lot of in investor protections there, uh, given you know the passive nature of the uh, of the Delaware Statutory Trust. Um, probably the biggest one, and this is the one for me that I really focused on, is illiquidity. Um, there there might be a secondary market for shares in in your Delaware statutory trust interest, but it's going to be very thin, thinly traded, and you're probably going to have a hard time getting your money out. So um, you really do need to be prepared to, you know, call it five to seven, seven to 10 year hold um, until the asset is liquidated before you have an opportunity to cash out. So that really needs to be an important part of your plan. Having said that, um, if if you want to stay in real estate, you want to enjoy the long-term benefits of ownership, including appreciation, cash flow, and um, you know, uh, as part of your estate, you know, when when you pass away, typically your assets are stepped up to fair market value. This would be no different. Um, this would sort of reset the value and and uh, at fair market value, which then for your heirs would essentially um, get rid of a lot of the, you know, the, the built up uh, 1031 gains that, that are, that are in the asset at that point. So, um, so as, from an estate planning standpoint, it's also um, attractive, but you know, again, it's no different than if you owned real estate yourself and, and, uh, and it would get stepped up to, to fair market value. Um, you know, upon your passing anyway. Um, and then you would only pay tax to the extent that your estate was big enough to trigger an estate tax. So, um, but anyway, I, uh, 
been working in real estate for a long time and I'd only heard about these relatively recently. And again, Delaware statutory trusts seem like a good fit for certain situations. And it might be maybe a mom and pop business that's been you know, operating for many years. They own the building. Uh, there's going to be huge tax liability if they sell the building when they when they shut down the business. Um, this is a great opportunity to take the full amount of the proceeds from the sell, uh, sale of the building and roll it into a, a you know a diversified investment portfolio of similar. Well, actually, it could be you know similar or different investment properties and uh and just collect cash flow uh, for retirement income and uh, defer the taxes so um for for some people it's a it's it's a it's a a great opportunity but then again it does have a lot of downsides to it as well as i noted so um so that's pretty much it for this week um hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please give me a like and uh, share it with a friend. And uh, I hope you have a great week and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Bye-bye.